welcome to another episode of Calvary Life. I am Charles. Hey, I'm Paul. Hey, I'm Dan. And uh, today we're here to uh, discuss an article that uh, our pastor has read this morning, and it has fired him up. And so we're going to see where this goes. So, Paul, lead off. So I get these uh, regular updates from Church Answers. This is by Tom Rayner. I actually had Tom as a professor in the way back at Southern Seminary when he was the dean of the Billy Graham School. And so, you know, I read a lot of their stats and info, and you know, there's a lot of pragmatic stuff in here, things you can do in your church differently, um, hospitality programs, stuff like that. But this one's pretty interesting because it is about waning attendance, why attendance is declining. And so it's, he says this, he says, we at Church Answers have done a pretty good job of explaining the what of attendance decline. The frequency of church attendance has declined. People have simply left the church altogether. So, of course, we know this. We see this anecdotally around. We hear it uh, a lot from other places and churches. But he says, what we've yet to articulate, at at least to this point, is the why of attendance decline. Why are so many people attending less frequently? Why are they dropping out completely? And so I thought, man, this is is really interesting stuff. And finally, I think they get to really the answer here. I, I really think this is the answer. In a culture that is so focused on pragmatism, and so we're finding our answers in all the wrong places. How do we get people to come back? You know, if we sing things that they like, or if we set up our schedules at times that are convenient for them, or if we preach, I don't know, self-help, encouraging, short messages, you know, all these superficial kind of things, maybe we can get people to come back. Well, in their research, and this is from the Pew Research Forum, this is the answer. People are attending less or not at all for one major reason. Here's the reason. They stopped believing in the religion's teachings. And far and away, that reason is so much more frequently given, so much more significant than any answer that follows. So again, he writes, did you get that? They left the church because they said they did not believe what the church taught. And he says the evidence is clear. This is this is the problem. And so then the question he asks in response to that is, where do we go from here? And so that's kind of what I want to talk to you guys about today. Do you agree with the assessment and your own experience of talking to people, seeing people, is that the problem? And if that is the problem, how did we get here? Dan? Uh, well, that kind of reminds me of a book I read a few years ago called Why They Stay. It was specifically about youth and when they graduate from high school, go off to college, why do they stray from the church? And their research said the same thing. You know, in the youth group, they basically went because they, you know, enjoy being with their friends, enjoy the activities. But when it came to the belief, there was no actual belief or relationship with the Lord. Therefore, they're free in college to not go to church anymore. And wouldn't you love to know along with that, of course, that's, you know, evidential. The the anecdotal evidence of that is clear. We see that over and over. I mentioned to our high school seniors this Sunday the statistics, the dreadful statistics about how many of them statistically walk away from the faith through college and into their adult years. But wouldn't you love, love to know how many of those that were in that book or how many of those that we see were baptized? How many of those mm-hmm. claimed faith? How many of those did churches baptize count as members? Yeah, I'm sure we'll get into this in a second, but uh, there's a book called Conversion and Discipleship by Bill Hull, and in this book he addresses some false gospels that we tend to believe and perpetuate, and one of those false gospels is the forgiveness-only gospel, where you basically, Jesus forgives your sins, you get your ticket to heaven, what happens after that doesn't really matter. So a lot of these students have their ticket to heaven through this forgiveness-only gospel, and they have a false assurance of their own salvation. 
Yeah, I think that's just so critical. The whole idea that for so long, so many churches have preached conversion without discipleship, and that's what Bill talks about, conversion without discipleship. So just like you're saying, if we make it ultimately about just having your sins forgiven and having assurance of going to heaven when you die, then we are inadvertently, I hope, unintentionally, I hope, basically setting people up to make everything else optional. I'm going to heaven. I know I'm forgiven. Whatever else I do doesn't really matter, surely doesn't matter as much, and so it makes it so much easier to walk away. Yeah, I was for me personally, you know, being here at Calvary for 20, almost 22 years, well, no, more than that, 23 years now, um, you know, I came as children's pastor, and the first, the big thing that we do is children's ministry, still do, and it's coming up in a couple of weeks is Vacation Bible School. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can just see the difference in us now compared to where we were in VBS 15 years ago, and really underneath my leadership. I tell you, I look back on some of those years of of having multiple numbers of kids who would make professions of faith after we gave the gospel in, in some way, and usually it was the simple way of the ABCs. You know, that's what Lifeway gave us every year. And we would, we would baptize these kids, and it was amazing to me, after really looking back on it, that the same kids I'd be doing the same thing with the next year. As in, I would not have seen them for a year because they, they just came to vacation Bible school. And we would have a week of EBS, and we would, we would tell them about the gospel, tell them the good things of Jesus, tell them they needed a Savior, and they would accept, and they would walk away and come back the next year and need to be accepted again. And that just showed me, that was a, a, an example to me of what the church is not doing, which is we were not discipling those kids. And so they were at the same place they were from one year to the next. And I think that's really um, one of the things we're talking about here is there is no discipleship that get, takes a child who may understand the gospel, may, may want to respond, but they're never taught what that means beyond that. Yeah, speaking of discipleship, one of the things we need to teach in discipleship is the biblical scope of salvation. Salvation includes justification, sanctification, and glorification. You can't separate those. And so if you're truly justified, if you've received the righteousness of Christ through justification, you will be sanctified. That's a guarantee. So if you're not being sanctified, that means you were not justified. Um, again, we try to separate those and say, I got my justification, my ticket to heaven. It doesn't matter I'm not being sanctified because I'm, I'm good. I got my, my ticket through justification. Well, that's not a biblical option. So again, you know, we can't separate justification from sanctification and glorification. And Dan, wouldn't you say even today we're still trying to convey to people what we mean by being a disciple? You know, I love Gordon Fee's statement. He's quoted in Bill Hull's book, Conversion and Discipleship, that in the end, only only disciples are converts. Mm-hmm. You know, just what you're saying is absolutely true, and the Bible makes that plain, that this this thread, this chain of salvation absolutely happens. It absolutely happens. We believe that the first part happens is justification, and we certainly have hope that the last part happens, glorification, but we leave the rest of that in the middle optional. And Fee says, you know, in the end, only those who are truly disciples. How do we help people understand that you can't separate these things, that if you're really converted, you will be a follower of Christ? I'd like to read what John said about the issue. Um, you know, Paul says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. I think one of the main things we look for is love. Do we love God? Do we love other people? And John says this uh, in 1 John 3, 10, by this is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does who does not love his brother. 
So again, as you examine yourselves, are you walking in righteousness, obeying Christ, and are you loving others? If not, um, John would say, Paul would say, you're probably not actually in the faith. That's heavy. You know, I can't, I can't help but think we've created this problem ourselves. And again, when I say we, I'm speaking broadly for pastors like us, churches like ours, in a convention like ours, that for so long the primary message we've given is some form, some simplistic form of salvation. Just ask Jesus into your heart, then you're good, with very little else offered, and we wonder how we got here. You know, we mm-hmm. sowed these seeds. And now we're reap, uh, we're reaping this harvest from it, I think. And you know, it's not just the the forgiveness only. You know, we've also preached that gospel of or that message of just so much man centered life skill, self help, um, pseudo therapy. You know, come because it's practical and beneficial. And then we wonder why people whose lives are going pretty well or they're prospering in their business, or they're happy with their family, or they've got other pursuits. We wonder why they abandon the church, because they don't need that stuff anymore. We made them. We made people consumers. And then we complain about having a consumer-driven culture, consumer-driven church. You know, it's, any, it's no wonder we got this way. You know, these, these again, this we're seeing the product of what we ourselves cultivated. So with that, with that I remember I was reading yesterday, and I used a little bit of with uh, the prayer time at 8 a.m., where Jesus talks about the cost of, of counting your cost, you know, counting the cost of following him. How much of that should be a part of our evangelism? You know, I can't help but think um, anytime I'm given the gospel and I'm encouraging people to abandon themselves, take up your cross daily and follow Christ, to, to give up the old life, repent, and turn to Christ, I have to constantly think, and I'm consciously thinking, this message has to play here in Dothan, Alabama, just as it would play if I were giving it in that, and I can't remember the name of the state off the top of my head, that particular state right now in India that is undergoing such persecution where churches are being burned, where Christians are being run out of their homes and communities, where they're actually living out in the jungles now trying to survive simply because they're Christian. If we're giving a different gospel here than the gospel there, then we're probably not giving the right gospel, that it's, that it's got to be worth it. And that made me think of something else regarding this article. You know, uh, Tom Rainer gives some, ev- uh, not just the evidence, Tom Rainer gives some solutions. Where do we go from here? And he says, restart the process with a congregational-wide study of the essentials of the Christian faith. Well, I, I think that's necessary. I think that's part of it. I think people are walking away from something they never knew. They're saying they don't believe something that they were never really taught. But I think also, to your point, Charles, the reality is where, where we live, the times in which we live today, it's just not cool to believe this stuff anymore. It's not cool. You're not going to be in the majority. You're not going to score social points for being faithful to Christ. And so we need to be telling people that, that Jesus is worth it. And unless you come to the realization that he's worth it, either A, you will never follow him to begin with, or B, you will not continue to follow him because there is going to be a cost. At the very least, there's going to be a social cost, and we're seeing that already. You're going to be a pariah, or you're going to be perceived as an idiot, or you're going to be bigoted or narrow-minded or something for simply being faithful to things that the Bible says plainly and clearly. But there might be more of a cost. I mean, already today, there are certain jobs you're probably not going to get if you identify as a Christian. There are certain positions you're not going to hold. Um, There are certain things you're never going to be able to be a part of. And are you willing to pay that cost? Is Christ worth it? And, And so I think simply the cost just got too high. 
And you know, I think of the disciples when Jesus, after Jesus gave that message, after he had fed the thousands, and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, um, you have no part of me. And so many people turned and walked away, and Jesus looked at his disciples and says, so, you know, in essence, so you're going to go too? You're going to leave too? And what did they say? To whom else shall we go? To whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of life. And so if we're not conveying that message, you have nowhere else to go because life is found only in Christ. We're never going to get to the answer here. Yeah, and as I, as I think about discipleship and following Jesus, you know, we battle what I call the trinity of evil, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and those things are deceptive. And, you know, John again addresses this in uh, chapter 3, verse 7, 1 John. He says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So again, genuine Christians will walk in righteousness, not not to perfection, but that should be the trajectory. And again, think about things that Jesus said about, he came onto the scene in the book of Mark, he said, the gospel or the kingdom is here, repent, believe the gospel, and then follow me. And so again, to think that we can be saved and be justified and yet not follow Jesus um, is totally unbiblical. And that's why John addresses it over and over again. If you're not abiding, if you're not obeying and not loving, you're probably not a believer. And that's a heavy reality for think people today we think about in our own denomination we're seeing drastic falling off of attendance and membership the most precipitous decline in our history right now uh, we're seeing this among other evangelical churches gratefully thankfully we're we're seeing slow but steady growth here in our own in our own church but i wonder if we're not seeing the evidence of the very parable that Jesus gave of the sower and the seed being played out right here in front of us. You know, there we're seeing we're seeing some faithful seeds that take root and really grow and bear fruit, but we're seeing the evidence of so many that sprouted momentarily, but the cares of this world came in and swept them away, or the enemy came and stole them away, and we're seeing the very thing that Jesus talked about played out right in front of our very eyes. We've lowered the bar so much that we began to think that these other forms, these other seeds growing up, were actually genuine fruit-bearing seeds. And really, in the parable of the sower, only one of them is, that one that remains. And so this is where we are today. I thought this was interesting, too, and you guys chime in on this. Kind of ironic for us, I don't say this with any pride, but something that we've recognized for a while is the need to really teach our people the Bible. I mean, just to teach the Bible, teach the Word of God. And so one of his responses, one of Rainer's responses or remedies is move your small groups and Sunday school classes more to explicit Bible teaching. While there are many good small group studies available, he writes, this new research suggests strongly we need to have more direct Bible teaching in our groups. And what do you say to that? Well, if you believe it's the Word of God that transforms, then you know, shouldn't you teach the, the Word of God? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is what we've been doing. This is a move we've made. It, you know, I remember in the early days of, of making the shift, it wasn't as well received as it is now. I think now people just see this as our norm. But you know, in those early days, Charles, you can remember trying to make the switch, first of all, to even deciding what's a better curriculum right. versus some of the curriculum we're using, yep. and then deciding even abandoning our own Lifeway curriculum for our own so that we could immerse ourselves in the Bible with an aim really of just getting people in the Word. Just read the Bible for yourself, think about it, and learn how to interpret it and live it. So, you know, this is something we've really been emphasizing. Um, Dan, how many years have you been in Calvary now? Uh, going on eight years. So what kind of fruit from that 
can you see as doing discipleship and spiritual formation kind of ministry here? What sort of fruit from that emphasis of, of teaching the Word, emphasizing the Word, can you see? That's a good question. Uh, one, I'll say it's a blessing just to have our life groups all doing the same, you know, curriculum based on what you're you're preaching. And uh, two, you know, at the end of the day, whether you see fruit or not, you trust that God works through His Word. And I think we do see fruit from that. Uh, maybe people being more engaged in Scripture, you know, more loving, you know, whatever. Uh, but the fact is, we know as leadership, if we faithfully uh, teach the Word, we know that God's going to work through it. Um, whether we see fruit or not, I think that's where we can where we can rest. And, and while Tom doesn't use these words, what he's really describing in this article is pervasive biblical illiteracy mm-hmm. that just permeates our churches, that people really just don't know the Bible. I can remember, you know, I've been at Calvary now 11 years, and I can remember going through verse by verse through the book of Romans. And I remember in this book, uh, the study of the book of Romans, now again, you would assume Romans would be one of the most well-known books. I mean, this isn't, we're not talking about Leviticus here or Hosea or Obadiah. You know, this is a verse by verse through Romans. And I can remember covering a passage and had several people say, I've never heard anyone preach on that before. Now, they weren't saying, I've never heard anyone say what you're saying, um, like that's some wild idea or something novel. What they were saying is, I'd never heard those verses preached on before. And this is, again, from the book of Romans. Mm -hmm. So it, it just shows you. It shows you kind of where we have been, where we are. Uh, Charles, you, as as a pastor, you teach and preach on Sunday morning some, and you also teach open classes, and you've led a life group for years, a small group where people discuss Scripture. How's that played out, this focus on the Word? How's that played out in your small groups that you've led, and what benefit have you seen for the people in there? Well, I'd say one thing. I think, I think as we've become more a culture of this, I think the people that have come in in the last five to six years have been more in line with Scripture than where we were before. Uh, the, they have the same desires that, that we have to see the, the Word central of what we're doing. So I think, it's, I think it's becoming natural for us to draw the same kind of people that we are. But those that are there, I would say that we, um, I think the good, the discussions uh, center less on the man-centered stuff, on the how this makes me feel, and people are more willing to have have good engagement with one another over topics of the scripture versus you know just hearing what they've always heard and being being fed that. So in one way, I think it allows us to to have a better discussion when we all feel like the authority in the room is not the teacher, it's not our feelings, but it's actually the word of God. So I would say the conversations are better because of that. Uh, and then for our open classes now, I think this is just the next step for us to be able to teach things that are more in a systematic way and in you know a a way that's more uh, fully than we do when we go through a book of the Bible through life groups. So I think it's just the next step of us um, kind of trying to remedy what what Tom mentions there about that Bible illiteracy uh, and how we're doing open classes. You know, the ultimate aim, of course, is not just the Bible. We don't make an idol of the Bible. I know sometimes people make that accusation against Bible-believing churches, Bible-teaching churches, churches who acknowledge the absolute authority of Scripture, who believe in the inerrancy of Scripture as we do. But the aim is is God. It's the knowledge of God. And so I really I feel strongly, I feel this conviction that we've got, a, we've got a lot of people who will walk away, maybe not in our church specifically, but in general, churches like ours, Christendom in general, they're walking away from something they don't even really know. Because I think the more that you immerse yourself in this, the more you discover God 
in a real way. You discover God for who he is, and that's why we're teaching things like systematic theology or how to study your Bible, or that's why in a, in a small group we're asking people, read these scriptures and discuss these questions in, in an intellectual way, in a spiritual way, in a practical way. How am I going to do this? I think just you know, as people grow and learn these things, they're going to they're going to grow in the knowledge of God, and the knowledge of God is going to cause them to love Him more, and to be better able to worship Him, and to be more more faithful uh, to Him. So that, you know that that's really the aim. So I think Rainer's right. People are leaving our churches because they're not grounded in the faith, and so that's part of our aim. We want people to be grounded. We want people to be rooted. We want people to be well well trained. Charles, I was thinking about this too in a process that we're working on right now for the health of our church and how we convey better our philosophy and strategies and those kind of things to our church folks and folks outside of our church. But one of our aims is to be a gospel-displaying community where we love each other and care for one another. How do we, as believers in the same church family, how do we help each other in this? How do we, how do we help guard each other's faith? How do we encourage each other towards knowledge of the Lord and faithfulness to Him, and really to stick and stay. How do we do that together as a church family? Well, I was, I was just thinking about, as y'all were talking about, meaningful membership. And I think that's where it starts. You know, I think it's coming to the realization that we all made a covenant with one another when we joined. And by that, there are accountability questions, statements, things that we hold each other accountable to. And I think that's how we show love to one another is because we care about one another's spiritual life. And so we're willing to get in there and help someone who's hurting, help someone who's fallen, help someone get through a, um, you know, a, a life experience where they didn't live up to what God's Word tells them to live up to. And, and so I think the best way we love one another is through understanding that we're here together as you know, members of the same body. And we care about the health of each other, just like when we talk about covenant, you know, just like I care about how my toes feel and my hands feel, we should, as members of the body, care about one another and make sure we're all being healthy together. And I think that's how we then actually come off as a loving congregation to each other. Dan, let me throw this one out at you as a dad. What do you feel like your role is for your family's sake regarding how they know the Lord, how they know the Word, how they participate in the life of the church. What's, what's your dad role in that? Well, the first thing I remember is that the gospel is the power unto salvation. I want my children to be saved, and so I continue to try to teach the gospel at the most basic level. And uh, by God's grace, if they receive Christ, then I help them understand what it means to walk in faithfulness, which includes obviously being part of the local church and identifying spiritual gifts and all those sort of things. And and again, like you're saying, it's the knowledge of God, the holiness of God uh, that fuels, I believe, discipleship. So the more we expose them to God and who he is, uh, I think the more we fuel their discipleship. So I'm looking at an announcement on social media of a church that is not having services on Memorial Day weekend so that people can spend time with their families. My thought on that immediately, and I want to get your feedback on this, my thought on that immediately is as a spiritual leader in my own house and as a member of a spiritual family called a church, I can't think of anything better I can do for my family than to be in church with them. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to be there 52 Sundays a year, and there might not be some times where travel, vacation, or sickness plays a role, 
But that means I'm constantly thinking there's nothing healthier, nothing more beneficial, nothing more God-honoring than for me to be in church with them and to take the lead in in bringing them. Uh, So what do you guys think about that? Uh, Well, uh, this may be another podcast, but another challenge in addition to what you just said is sports and how many um, children are not in church because of sports taking over and you know, um, as a father, as a parent, where do you draw the line? Um, yeah, our church services are really getting in the way of some of our uh, folks' travel baseball schedules, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's so, – so anyway, I just think you have to teach your kids that church is a priority. Um, more times than not, we actually enjoy being with other believers, but sometimes even if you don't desire to go to church, it's a, dis- it's a spiritual discipline to go to church. It is, and a healthy one. And I thought about this, too. I, I never want people to think that we're just legalists – and so we're doing things that are man-made, and you just have to. I, I, I want to convey to folks that it's really about your love for the Lord that should draw you to church. And when I think mm-hmm. about church, it's not I'm going because I have to go, and it and it shouldn't be I'm I'm only going if I think there's something personally beneficial for me. Um, if the message is going to speak to some interests that I have or some situation in my life or whatever I'm going through, that sort of thing, I want ultimately to go because I'm honoring God by going and I'm engaging the Almighty. I get to mm-hmm. pray with other believers. I get to hear His Word read and taught. Um, I get to sing songs to Him and praise and think on Him. I, I get to hear this, you know, a message given from the Scriptures. I'm going because I want to encounter God with other people. Mm-hmm. It really... It really is about God. I guess for me, so you guys just have to take this for whatever it's worth. I read some of these things and seeing the context that I've grown up in in church life, particularly SBC life, where the predominant philosophy is pragmatism, you know, whatever works, however we get people here. And I'm just more and more turned off by it. I just want there to be a sense for me, for the people that I'm trying to disciple. Going to church is just one of the expressions I have of affinity for God, love for God, but also fidelity towards God, faithfulness towards God. This is what I do because I'm a Christian, because I'm a disciple, and I want to honor him with my life, and I want to grow in him, and I want to encourage other people to do the same. I wish that was, um, I wish our folks could understand how important a ministry just your attendance can be right. mm-hmm. for the sake of other believers, for the sake of the people there. Yeah. Uh, you're there, and they know that you're going to be there, and maybe, just maybe, God will use you for something that day that that you'll be aware of, that you'll pray for somebody, you'll encourage somebody. But maybe he's doing things you'll never be aware of. Maybe Mm -hmm. he's you're just encouraging someone by your faithfulness Mm -hmm. and being there. And I go back to, you know, my mind thinks in terms of spiritual formation. And again, God's will for us is our sanctification that happens best not by yourself, but in the community of believers. And so if God's will for you is your sanctification, and that happens best with the church, and you don't go to church, well, you're really hindering your own spiritual growth. And, and even, you know, you think about the church metaphors, if, if the church is a body, and say you're the arm, and you don't gather with the church, then you got a church that's armless, you know. So, so again, you could approach that from a lot of different angles, just the value of that attending. That one other thing, and I appreciate you saying that. It, it's how we have, and if this is you, if you're hearing this, Forgive us, forgive churches, forgive pastors for presenting an over-personalized view of the gospel, that it really is just about you and God. And then we've maybe unintentionally, maybe inadvertently presented the church as a tool or a resource to help you in your personal spiritual 
journey, your personal religious experience. So the tool then becomes, and this is a phrase you guys have heard me use a lot at Calvary, we become purveyors of religious goods and services. Forgive us for presenting the gospel that way. And in our intention to help you understand that you have to choose Christ for yourself, you have to respond to the offer of grace for yourself, you must enter into a relationship with him through faith for yourself, that doesn't mean that's all that happens. You become a part of the body of Christ. And again, by, by over-personalizing this, privatizing this even, what we've done is we've got so many folks, and we see this in our community, where, there, where cultural Christianity is still fairly pervasive, people who will claim to be Christian but will be disconnected from any church because to them the church ultimately ancillary, auxiliary, um, not absolutely necessary. Could be, might be, sometimes is beneficial, but it's not necessary. And this is something that we are working to correct. Yeah, I think about, you know, it's a lot of things that we end up um, sinning over is when we take shortcuts. And I think even our witnessing and our um, sharing the gospel, there can be a lot of shortcuts, you know, because it takes time, it takes a lot of discussion, it takes a lot of study on my part to be able to answer somebody's deep, deep questions, where it's real easy just to give a shortcut answer of what it means to be a Christian or how to accept Jesus, when there's really a lot to it. I mean, you know, there are books upon books written about the salvation that we all share, and and we try to shortcut it sometimes, and I think that's what leads us down this path sometimes as a church. Yeah, that's our aim. We want to introduce Christ and the life that's found in Christ. In Him is life. You know, and that's that's our message. So appreciate everybody listening to us again today. If you've got some thoughts or questions, some suggestions for topics, you can always shoot us an email, podcast at calvarydothan.com. We'd love to engage in some of those. We hope that if you don't have a church family and you're listening to us today, that you would come and attend one of our worship services with the Calvary folks. Uh, we'd love to meet you. Um, we'd love to share the good news with you or celebrate Christ with you and um, just want to issue that blanket invitation for you to come anytime. So we'll continue. We'll pick up again next week with some more topics. We've got some fresh stuff we want to be talking about, and we hope to hear from you. So as always, what we do is ultimately for God. Where we do it is in Dothan, but we do it not just for our own sake or even for the sake of our own city. We do it for the world. So we're for God, for Dothan, and for the world. So until next time, take care.